pray with me. God, we know that your truth is perfect, and that your plan is perfect, um, and that you mean good for us. I pray that today you would bring clarity, that you would bring wisdom, um, that you would open our eyes, and that your word would speak to us, that we would allow your gospel to read us, not the other way around. And we pray uh, in your name. Amen. So, so it's helpful for me, uh, at least, to do a, a little bit of recapping. And now the, the downside of that is as I, as I went to recap some of the stuff that we've gone over uh, in John, and this is what Matthew gets for leaving me in charge for a week, uh, we're going to try to speed this thing along. I suspect he may try to backtrack a little bit, but, but if you remember when, when, when Refuge went through Nehemiah, it took us longer to go through the book than it took him to build the wall. It's. I, I genuinely think that those are pretty. I mean, right along track. And we tried to say, we, you know, hey, maybe we should move along to another book. And he, hey, I'm doing a great work and can't get down. Oh, hey, chill out, Pastor. We didn't mean it. Um, so we're gonna. T- I'm gonna go through like 12 verses. This is an unheard of pace. Normally we do two weeks per verse. So we're gonna. This is. <laughs> it's only funny because it's true. So I'm gonna save you like uh, six months here. So this is pretty good um but but well uh he may he may backtrack on this i've i've met him before so it wouldn't but it's helpful for me uh because i've been out for a couple of weeks it's helpful for me uh to kind of go back over it now the downside is um it's like reading the dead sea scrolls deciphering my own handwriting so here we go (laughs) rosetta stone help me so um so we start the book of John and it gets like really mystic and heavy really quick like Jesus comes and the word is made flesh and all of creation and all of truth and all power is present in the person of Jesus that all things have their being through him nothing is created except that which comes through Jesus and like this is like look I know I made fun of his pace to start the day but like yeah, you got to camp out on that a little bit. Like John 1, is, it is dense and it is mystical and all the above, and we love it for that. And then in John 2, well, you, you also end it with the, the idea where, you know, he comes from Nazareth, and there's this sense where, like, can anything good come from there? And the response is very telling. Essentially, it's, hey, I don't know, you come and see what's going on, and you tell me if anything good can come from there. It's a very kind of come and see Mentality. It's not, a, I'm not going to try to prove this to you. You come, you lay your eyes on it, you tell me if anything good can come from there. And then he goes and you have the miracle at Cana of Galilee. And then, then he goes and he turns the water into wine. And there's this kind of like, yeah, that, I, I don't know how to, you know, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff, but I couldn't do that. And so if I saw somebody do that, I would be impressed, right? Like there's this, I don't even like wine but I can respect the miracle uh, kind of thing. We're like, hmm, well done. And like, there's this, this building. He doesn't try to make a big deal of it. If I turned water into wine, I'd make a big deal out of it. I'd be like, hey, have you tasted this? Yeah, I just, there it is. I'd made that, right? Like this is, I'd make a big deal out of this. Jesus kind of did it, eh, you know, whatever, and moved along. And so he does this miracle at Cana of Galilee, and then he enters the temple, and he gets mad. They've turned it into a marketplace. He has this kind of people look at this, and they see, like, I don't know, they were so impressed by his anger, like they, they thought of like Old Testament verses where he said, like, he's going to be consumed 
with zeal for the house of the Lord. And like that, that popped into their head, right? Well, well so he's, he's making a name for himself. You have John the Baptist coming in and saying, hey, look, uh, y'all are coming out here talking to me even though I'm dressed in like camel skins and I eat bugs and stuff and like I'm shouting at you about how terrible you are. But trust me, the guy that comes after me, I'm not even fit to tie his shoes. Right, like I'm baptizing you with water, he's gonna baptize you with the spirit and with fire. And like there's this real building sense that like John one is serious. Like that's the kind of thing that's stepping on stage. And then at the end, the very end of John uh chapter two is a really interesting uh set of verses for me just because I think it lays the groundwork um pretty well for, for exactly what follows it. So at the very end of uh, John 2 it, it's kind of piggybacking off of those miracles um, that have been done or the miracle that had been done it says that Jesus would not entrust him like the people that were trying to make a name for him or the people that saw his reputation building Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men and he did not need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in a man that's that's dark, right? Like, like I don't, I don't need anything from you because I know what you have to give, and I don't trust it. Ugh. All right, um, <laughs> thanks. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. All right. So now we meet uh, a guy named Nicodemus. Yeah, so there we do. Um, so let, let me talk about Nicodemus for a little while, as I as I understand him. Never met the guy, but read about him. Now there, there's a man, there's a man named a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. All right, so let's stop there. As I understand Pharisees, like um, I dropped out of seminary, so I didn't get this far. Um, but like a Pharisee has to memorize, like they they admit, essentially memorize the Torah. All right, like the Torah is it's roughly, you know that all right so like he memorized the Torah you're talking about like our Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy like that's a like I had to memorize the Gettysburg Address all right this is this is slightly different um we it just started with four score and seven years we had like in the beginning is a lot longer to go back um but like they had to memorize all this right like that's the kind of school they went to. They'd done all that. Like you didn't get the term rabbi. You weren't a, a Pharisee without having proved your intellectual chops, as it were. Like you weren't just a little bit Jewish. You were really Jewish. Uh, and so he was a man of some stature. He's in the ruling council. Like the the order that existed when Jesus stepped on the stage, it was treating Nicodemus pretty good. He had reputation. He was well thought of. He had position. He had some authority. So like he had a vested interest in the way that things were going, right? So if you've got nothing going for you, you know, if you're one of the, the lepers or the, the woman at the well later that meets Jesus, really easy to try to trust in what Jesus is saying because as it currently sits, like you're kind of getting dumped on. But Nicodemus wasn't getting dumped on. Nicodemus had things going for him. And so when he comes to Jesus, he's now like in a bit of a, bit of a conundrum because he sees what's going on. And he can't unsee what he has seen. But he is also going to come face to face with the fact that that which he can't deny that's happening right in front of him also calls into question a lot of the things that seem to be going pretty well 
for Nicodemus. And so, as Willie said, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Can't imagine this was by accident. And he says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. All right. So what he does, and that's true, but what Nicodemus essentially does here is he comes and he concedes the least possible that he can to Jesus. It was like, hey, look, nobody can deny that, that you've got some power, that you have some authority from, from what's going on here. All right, nobody can deny that. And he calls him teacher. Um, and this is something like we, there are a lot of people in our culture now, we, we think that Jesus was a, a good teacher. I always liked C.S. Lewis's line about that. Well, he also claimed to be God. And the person who claims to be God is either God or they're insane. All right, like those, the, you can't be a good teacher. So let's assume that that's what I do for a living. Let's assume that I'm a good teacher, but on the last day of a person's senior year, I said, oh, and by the way, I'm God. All right, all the other lessons I did, those are out the window, right? Because I claim to be a deity. So I either am or I'm nuts. I believe that C.S. Lewis says on the same level as a man who claims to be a boiled egg. So like this, so, but like with this, he comes and he says, you're a good teacher. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you're a teacher, you come from God, you have some authority. And then Jesus, as he tends to do in his response, just kind of dismantles a bunch of this. So he says, all right, well, uh, I think I'm a good teacher. Here's a lesson for you. So we pick up in way more verses than Matthew would cover. Uh, all right, so I tell you the truth that nobody can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus predictably has some issues. Uh, Surely you cannot enter a second time into your mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, predictably, how can this be? See, there's this moment where now, now Nicodemus has a bit, of a, a bit of a problem because he said, hey, you're a good teacher. Nobody can deny the things that, that you're doing here. But, oh, yeah, but, you know, Jesus' response, you need to be born a second time. Work that one out. Uh, and Jesus, and he says, okay, so let me get back into the mother's womb. It's actually a bit more difficult than this. Let me explain it to you. And Nicodemus's response after Jesus tried to, to break it down, uh, it, Jesus responds after he said, you know, how can this be? And Jesus responds, you're Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still... You people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you about earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? All right. So, so now Nicodemus is is at a problem because perception, the things that that he can't, uh, that Jesus is saying, the stuff that he couldn't deny about Jesus, they're not jihong. They're not kind of agreeing with the things that he senses, the things that Nicodemus thinks that he knows. Right. If you've ever had something that like you perceive a thing and then you have to choose not to trust that thing that you think you know, that's a difficult spot to be in. Let me tell you what I mean. 
So we were on a road trip, and Google Maps and Waze were both telling me to go away. I didn't think that's the way you needed to go. <laughs> I'd been this, I've been down this road at least four times before. Uh, I knew roughly where I was going. But I looked down, and it's telling me to go another direction. Now, I'm aware that Google has millions of analytic data points, and Waze has all these people that are actually on the road going to the place that I'm going to, and it's telling me to go this way, but I think I know better. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, so that's, that's one. Uh, there's a, another, another way of thinking about this. Um, it's one of the things that have to train pilots. Like, you will have... A sensation your body your senses are telling you that a certain thing is happening but you have to verify it with the instruments in the airplane because that's not necessarily what's happening so if you fly just based off of oh I think this is happening well sometimes you crash which is a negative outcome right so like you gotta, you gotta constantly say I feel this but I have to check to make sure that that I'm feeling lines up with what's actually going on right like that, that something isn't working right but we like so we know it all the time if you're I don't have a, my boat sinks sometimes, so I don't take it out of sight of land, but you better have a compass or something, right? Because like all that looks the same and I think I'm going this way, but I'm not like, you got to have some kind of point of reference or like, cause if all you're doing is I think that the way I'm going is the right way, or I think that which I am perceiving is truth. All right. That's fine. As long as you're right. Right. But if you're wrong, all of a sudden, then, then you can get in a heck of a lot of trouble. And so Nicodemus is now confronted with that thing which he can't deny, that there is something about this Jesus person. Well, now Jesus is telling him some stuff that he can't actually accept. Right? So when that happens, what do you, what do you choose? Because a lot of the stuff that, the stuff that Jesus is going to tell us to do doesn't make any sense. Right? Like, well, I talk about it in my comparative religion class. Like, if you actually think about Christianity, it's nonsensical stuff, right? Like, there's this guy, and he's God. And God is actually also God, but he's also the God, and he's also the Holy Spirit. And God became a regular guy, but kind of half a guy because he was also God. And he was perfect, and he died. And because he died, your sins are forgiven, and you didn't even have to sin because you were born into it because he wasn't because that was the other half of the guy. And then he defeats death. Like, if you sit there, like, it only makes sense to you because you're in it, right? Because you're raised in it. But there's a lot in there that's extraordinary in the truest sense of that word. And so Jesus tells you all of these things, and there are going to be some moments where what he's telling you doesn't make any sense. What he's telling you to do, what he's demanding you to say, what he's demanding you to sacrifice is counterintuitive, right? Like everything in you says, no, that doesn't make any sense, right? And sometimes that stuff is really challenging. So what do you do when you come to that place where there's a gap between what you sense and, and what you're being told? Right, like there's there's a lot there that gets awful messy. And a lot of us have the same problem that Nicodemus had because the world we're living in is treating us pretty good. Right? Like we've we're doing all right. <laughs> Willie, come on, speed bump. Like the idea like like when when something's going right for us, right? It's tough to call that into question. Right? Like we we got things going on that are going pretty well. Right? Like, I don't want this world to, to fall apart. What if Jesus does, right? Like, 
So I got, I got to thinking about what are the ways, you know, we, we talk about this type of thing. The gospel doesn't actually care a lot uh, about the particulars of the age and the time and the place that we're in. All right? It was actually, it's timeless stuff. Jesus came on the scene and, and he said, hey, I know that we're in like, you know, he didn't say these, like, these words. I know we're in like first century Judea. But I don't really care much about first century Judea. I care about everybody that's here, you know, willing to die for them. But this whole Roman Jewish thing, yeah, it'll be here for a little bit and it'll be gone. And what we're doing here is going to transcend that. All right, that's comfortable for us, right? Because none of us are vested in, uh, you know, some Jewish armpit of the Roman Empire. We're not worried about all that, right? All right, but like, you understand that same gospel is eternal and the United States of America is not, all right? Like, so all these things here, but like, all of a sudden we still think that, that like one political party or another is more Jesus-like. Uh, I'm sorry, no. Right, like that's not that's not the way that that works. Like, like if you look at Christianity, it doesn't really work out very well for any country because its priorities are way different than a nation's are. Right? Like we're like we're not worried like we're not worried about how rich people can get or not get. We're not worried about like a border. We're not worried about. I'm just saying a lot of things that may take people off. Uh, we're not worried about a border. We're not worried like. But there's a ton of stuff that like if if you're really in line with one politician or another, probably getting some of this stuff wrong, right? Like because like it doesn't. Christianity is kind of homeless politically, right? How does that work out? And so, like, when you look at some of this, what happens when, like, you're really vested? Like, I, I'm, I love America. Like, I teach it documents and stuff for a living. Like, I'm, we get along. I believe in a lot of this stuff, but I also believe this it's going to be good for a while. But it's not eternal, right? It's not, it's not divine. Now, it can be good for a time and a place, and, and I do hope that it extends for a good long while, right? But, but it's not forever. Right, like it's still going to be just a dust, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. And so, one of the things that you, you ever have like a um, a job or a class or something, and you get like there on first day, and you realize that this is not going to be a lot of fun. So, I had a class uh, at Lagrange College, and um, and I got it was four people, and a guy who had a PhD from Harvard in the class which you can't really miss because they'll notice you're 25% of the roster. And um, and we sat in like a dusty book storage room. I don't think because like all the classrooms were full, but because he wanted us to, it's like there were decomposing book particles in the air and you had to, it's anyway. So it, the book, uh, I had to sign, it was required. I had to take it, so I didn't really pay it. But like I got in the class and realized that one of the words in the like title of the class, I didn't even know what it meant, which is not a good sign. And, and so the word, and I was a history major, but it was historiography, and I thought that was kind of made up. And they said, well, we got in there, surely he'll explain it. It's like it's the history of the study of history. Oh, it's going to be that kind of semester. Uh, and so, but what we found or what we were made to find, rather, what we found was that you could take all of these books written by really smart people who thought like a, a historian's job is to remove all of their bias from what they're writing. You could take it and read it 
and without knowing identify where and when that person wrote the book because even though they put their best effort into taking all their bias out of it they couldn't do it and their views and their writing were changed by the time and the place that they existed in and we don't think about our biases and our like what we think as much as a historian does when they're writing a book but in our day-to-day life it's really difficult for us because our reading of the gospel is tainted by the place and the time that we're living in and you have to be constantly aware of that because like you're gonna like what you're doing is you're misreading what Jesus is saying and then determining that misreading as the truth right and like sometimes it takes the form of that pastor you used to have said or my grandma said or you know you name it right and then sometimes it takes a lot of time to kind of break those things down so one of these are the the things I thought about this during the week all right so what are the things that maybe we're making some mistakes with now all right so this is rambly and whatever but this is kind of what I got all right so going through um going through just uh events of the day I've had a lot of time uh to think between um chasing my my son around the beach this last week um but I started to, to think through some of these um so if we were to try to read the gospel and and understand it's not meant for like it's it's timeless it's not meant exactly for kind of where we are it's not supposed to support the world order that we live in what was this what does this look like all right so um it's every life has value every single life uh and and look the more powerless they are the more we are called to protect the value of that life all right the 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 widow the orphan the unborn they have much less agency than i do at the end of the day i don't need that much protecting because at this stage and where i'm at i can kind of take care of myself but there are a lot of folks who can't they deserve more attention than i do and if i'm reading the gospel out appropriately i'm taking care of that right now what does that look like you can't you can't cherry pick who you're defending right like all of a sudden like you can be really mad about like the 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 rights and the life of the unborn being taken away but like you watch people's lives like you watch uh let's say like if you think that man that makes me angry but the powerless migrant worker and the you know if they're being downtrodden and their be their rights are being taken away or whatever like they're being treated like they're less than that doesn't piss you off like that's okay Right, like you can't get to like I really think I'm called like okay no like the gospel says right like they've all got value right that Jesus died for every one of them and like you can't like Jesus didn't say mm, I like them they're mm, I'll die for him all right we don't get to cherry pick either that's not the way that works out so like if your like inclinations politically favor one or the other maybe the gospel needs to read into you a little bit more um so the if if we think through this um so i'm trying to to think um beyond it a little bit and mix some of those together um what about just like think about what you see in our culture right what is and is not acceptable the things that that it's not cool to oppose anymore right like our culture has almost like a child's definition of freedom 
right? Like, like I can't wait till I got my own roof over my head. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I hope not because some of the stuff you want is stupid. Um, but I, I teach high schoolers, so I try to, like, but, but like, when you look at this, right, like, we, we think that's what freedom is, Right? But that's not freedom because like if you look at if you look at the Bible, the Bible talks like its definition of freedom and like I get to go do what I want. The Bible's definition of freedom is literal like we don't want you to be in bondage. Right? Like, well, I, you know, I, I get on my own. I date who I want. I sleep with who I want whenever I whatever. Okay, well, how's that going to work out? Like because other people have tried. How's it worked out for them? All right, well, you know, it's my body, I do what I want. It is, and you suffer the consequences. And, like, we don't want you in bondage. The, like, the Bible speaks really clearly about this, Absolutely. right? So, like, we don't want, it's not because, like, I'm just trying to keep, like, that, but I need you to have a real definition of freedom. Right? I need you to see it for what it is, right? Because, like, those mistakes, like, this isn't mysterious. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, it's been tried, and it's been found wanting, like, try something better so like all that kind of stuff like it's not cool to speak up for you get like a traditional view uh, of sex within marriage well well my goodness um maybe we need to do a better job of saying i don't, I don't care if it's cool like like the children of god weren't supposed to be bound by this stuff all right and, and i don't want to pretend that it's okay because i don't want them to think ill of me Right, like Nicodemus can't believe all the stuff. Jesus, he's a ruler. He's a Pharisee, right? He's got some stuff to lose. Well, if I start speaking up for this stuff, man, they're going to think I'm not with it. Well, maybe maybe it's kind of not worth being with. You know, like, like maybe we're not supposed to be relevant. Like that idea, like you're supposed to, maybe that's not what the church is here for. Maybe it's time to, to say, all right, what does the gospel say truth is? Now, I'm not saying be that guy on the, the, the street corner screaming at everybody about how terrible they are. I actually think that's really ineffective, but like in our own personal lives, what we espouse, what we stand up for. You can't just let that stuff slide because what happens is the further you just stay silent on that, the more everything else is normalized, right? And the more fringe it seems to hold up something that is actual freedom. We got to do a better job with that. All right, so when, well, that's one thing. I think we could probably do a little bit better with. The other is when you see people being taken advantage of, and we're starting to do better with this, but we got a long way to go, right? Like I sat at a, uh, at a, I forget where I was. It was at a restaurant, and I was drinking coffee, predictably waiting on something, and I, I was just watching across the streets, one of those tidal palm places. I was watching people go in and out. And all about it. That's bondage. All right? But, like, but that just that just exists, right? Like, we don't speak out against that. We've got to be doing the right thing. Uh, some of those things, it exists right under your nose. People are being taken advantage of. They're being taken to the cleaners. We ought to have something to say about that. Like, that's not all right. Um, and then and maybe the, the last one, this kind of goes back to, to not thinking that that the United States of America is, you know, necessarily Christian or is worth allegiance above the gospel. Um, but when you when you think about like the gospel has been used as a vehicle to support stuff that isn't gospel related, right? Like the gospel was twisted to support slavery. Like the, I can't think of anything that's less gospel 
than slavery. And it's twisted to support it, right? When Martin Luther King had to write his letter from Birmingham jail, it wasn't to like racist sheriffs. It was to church leaders who were telling him, hey man, we're on board with it, but I think you probably ought to chill out and stop causing so much trouble. It'll happen eventually. Right? Like telling him, right, I'm sorry, but that's not, that's not the place the church should have been in. But if you read the gospel as something that's supposed to bring peace all the time, you can get fooled into thinking that. Like, yeah, blessed are the peacemakers, but but you got to read. I mean, Jesus said, "Look, I didn't come to bring peace, but the sword." Sometimes, like, there's this idea like you're not always here just to make nice. Yeah. Sometimes the gospel thing to do is to cause some trouble. Yeah. Like, yeah, like if folks aren't, a, you know, like that's that. There's a, there's a, you know, at some point, if you got all like if if folks are upset with you, but the folks that are upset with you are trying to act against the gospel. You're probably doing it right. Uh, you ain't got to be friendly with everybody all the time. So and, and I, the thing that I would think of is this, and this is kind of what I go back to. In John 1, I think it's 14, but, you know, it's a relatively short chapter. You can find it. Um, uh, Jesus, uh, the Bible says Jesus came full of grace and truth. All right? And one of my things is if you're understanding the gospel correctly in your circumstances, that should make sense. That you're full of both of those things. If you're full of truth and there's no grace to you, that's not gospel. If you're full of grace and there's no truth to you, that's not gospel. All right? Denying what the truth is so that everyone can think you're gracious is to cause them trouble. And that's not love. To go around using the Bible like it's a club to beat people with and got no grace to it. So that's not truth. So like as we go on our day-to-day, as we read the gospel into our lives, as we let the gospel read us, all right, if we can't say that in what we are doing, in what we are saying, we are full of grace and truth, we're not full of gospel. And I think we'd be more along the lines of Nicodemus saying, all right, Jesus, let me, let me get this straight. Sorry, right, Jesus didn't stutter. All right, like he said what he said. Now, that's an effort. Now, there are some things we got to do in order to make all this happen. One, you got to read the gospel. It's free online, no barriers. Just, you know, we, got, we get you a Bible, read it. Um, like you go, look, whenever we drop Willie off in a second, Walking in his house, guess what's on get the audio, the speakers on the TV are on. Guess what's playing? Gospel. All right, the man's got more barriers between him and gospel than anybody else in the room, but you know who probably gets more gospel in him than anybody else in the room? It's probably Willie. All right, like, so there's no excuse. Be reading it. Because if you're not reading it, it can't read you. That's the way it goes. And then as you're doing it, be willing to question your assumptions. Because that thing you feel, that thing you think you see, that thing you're almost certain is true. Maybe it is, but maybe it ain't. Be willing to doubt it. And also understand this, that the gospel means more than whatever position you got. Maybe you're a Pharisee, maybe you're a leader among your people. That doesn't really matter. Not really. So as the band comes up, what I want to do, I'm assuming they're going, I don't know. Hey, where you go? So uh, it's amateur hour this week. Not, it's kind of amateur hour. If you saw Matthew's salary, it's kind of amateur hour every week because you paid to be professional. Uh, we're going to work on that. So 
Um, but but with this, what I want you to what I want you to be willing to pray about is this: just live without making assumptions. That thing that you think is true, it's always worth doubting whether or not that's the case. It's always worth reading to make sure that what your definition of truth is lines up with the gospel. Make sure that our actions line up with it. Because when we come head to when we come face to face with it, and that thing that you can't deny doesn't match up with that thing that you really have always felt, are you willing to latch on with what you know to be true? Not what you feel to be true. Um, you need someone to pray with you, myself, Trey, Mimi. We are certainly willing to do so. Um, love y'all.